Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, September 14th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Vangelista. Hello. Okay, let's get to some news about uh, what is going on in our movie theaters here in the United States. Uh, we, we have some shuffling possibly going on at the box office uh, post-tenant. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes. So uh, for some context, uh, there's a virus and it's killing lots of people. And <laughs> um, studios have, have been trying to figure out how to deal with that with, with their By, by the way, I'm not, I'm not laughing because no, that's, no, we're not, not, laughing that's not funny. I, I'm just laughing at the prospect of someone like a hundred years from now, like downloading this podcast and like, you're like filling them in and they're like, they're, wait, virus. Let me look that up on whatever the Wikipedia of a hundred years from now. future Wikipedia, space <laughs> Wikipedia. Anyway. So, uh, studios have had to deal with this and uh you know there were for the longest time hollywood in general was just hedging their bets and placing all their chips on tenet to open uh it was supposed to open in july and that obviously didn't happen and uh so tenet finally came out this month 
and the box office results are not that great, which is probably predictable at this point, you know, because it's playing in wherever it can, which isn't everywhere. Uh, and even though it is playing in certain, you know, states, people don't really want to risk going out to see it. So the box office has not been uh, what Warner Brothers was hoping for. And as a result, their next big release, which is uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which was supposed to come out in October, uh, got pushed to Christmas. Uh, that's the new date, uh, Christmas Day, December 25th. Um, whether or not that will hold uh, is anyone's <laughs> guess. I mean, there was a lot of rumors that this might take Dune's release date in December. Dune is another Warner Brothers movie, but that for now is holding on to its December 18th release date. And now Wonder Woman will come out in theory after Dune on Christmas Day. Hmm. Does Warner Brothers really think that there's enough? Like, I feel like that's they're competing. They're taking away from their own audience there. I mean, if these are released, because as as you mentioned, Wonder Woman, like this is what is it, like their third or fourth release date we've had for Wonder Woman at this point. Yeah. Well, it, it was supposed to come out in October. They pushed it to. Uh, well, no, it was supposed to come out. What was it supposed to, it was supposed to come out before? It was supposed October. to come out this summer like sometime. July or something. Yeah, it was supposed yeah. to come out in July. Then it got pushed to October and now it got pushed again to December. So, yeah, this is the, the, the second time it's been pushed off. It's, well, actually, if we want to go back even further, it was actually supposed to come out in 2019. But that's, <laughs> that pushing was not due to the coronavirus. That was due to scheduling and stuff like that. So it, it has been pushed a bunch of times already. Yeah. So this tenant box office, do you think this is going to mean that like most of the films that are, are scheduled currently for this year are going to get pushed to 2021? I, as much as I don't want to admit that, I do kind of think this is where this is going. I mean, I, I think smaller movies uh, will will still have a chance at coming out, but uh, the studios with their their big tentpole films, their films that cost hundreds of millions of dollars, they don't want to release them unless they're sure they can get a return on that investment. So I do have a feeling, unless you know, we wake up uh, tomorrow and someone's like, "We miraculously found a cure." I, I really don't think. Uh, the films of 2020 are going to hold at this point. I'm, I'm guessing the movie studios are like banking on the fact that everybody's like going home for Christmas. Right. And they're like stuck in their house with their family for like a whole week. And they're like, Oh, there's a new movie out excuse to leave and get away from my parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, like, we'll, and then we'll go the, into the wasteland of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the problem with this is, you know, once winter comes, we're going to be in flu season. So it's going to be flu season and coronavirus season. So I, I yeah. really don't see this sticking. I mean, it'd be nice if it did. It'd be nice if things were back to normal by Christmas. But uh, I, I have my doubts. Yeah, we're seeing numbers getting better. But a lot of people are saying that's because of the heat, because this virus doesn't do well in the heat. So once it gets cold again, that, that'll be a true test of this. So, okay, uh, let, let's move on. Let's talk about a Disney Plus series, the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show. It doesn't have a name yet. Uh, we have learned more about that. Ben, tell us about it. Yes. So Ewan McGregor, who is reprising his role as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequel movies, uh, he said recently in an interview with Entertainment Tonight, he said, as I understand, it's a standalone season. We'll see. Who knows? So it's sort of like left the door open a little bit for potentially more than one season. But it certainly seems like at least this first season of the show is being designed as a, you know, like a, a story with a complete arc, as it were. Um, 
you know, a mini series. Right. Yeah, exactly. So a sort of a limited series approach. Um, and yeah, this is, I, I think the first like confirmation we've gotten about that from somebody who's actually, you know, like, uh, <laughs> involved with the production, yeah. um, that this is going to be at least for now, uh, planned as a, a single standalone miniseries, uh, sort of event series kind of thing. So, um, I, you know, as always, there's this kind of thing happens all the time where people announce stuff like like Big Little Lies is a good example that was supposed to be on HBO that was supposed to be a one and done thing but it, it did so well that they brought it back for a second season so um, you know I guess if, if Disney Plus uh, finds the the numbers uh, to you know be exceeding what they thought and and maybe they can sign deals with everybody and get everybody back for more or something then there's the potential for a second season way down the road but uh, filming on the show which we've been talking about the show for a long, long time, the idea of the show existing, but filming hasn't even started yet. It's actually supposed to begin uh, next spring. So I think we're not going to see this show probably until 2022. So we still have a long way to go before we actually see the the fruits of all this labor. Um, but uh, yeah, it's exciting for people who have been wanting this. I mean, this is like one of those things in, in Star Wars lore that people have uh, have argued over and, and you know, uh, hypothesized and theorized about for a long time. And um, I, I think... This is going to please a, a huge chunk of uh, Star Wars fandom who are, uh, you know, uh, itching for more Obi-Wan stories. Yeah. Are, are we surprised that Disney's going to take the miniseries approach here? I, I guess there's not so much story you can tell with Obi-Wan in this period, right? From between uh, the prequels and before A New Hope, because he's, I mean, I guess we assume he's on Tatooine and he's like watching Luke from afar. So it's not like he can go off on these big adventures too often. Like he kind of has to like be like this uh, watch <laughs> guard from like, you know, a distance. Right. Yeah. I I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on the stories that they choose to tell here. Maybe he can like get somebody to like hold his spot and, <laughs> and like keep an eye on Luke through a pair of binoculars <laughs> while he goes off planet to deal with something or something. But um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is, you know, Peter, you and I were talking a little bit of, like off uh, off mic before this uh, recording started about like Disney Plus and, and um, you know, whether or not they've done uh, one season shows like this before. And I'm sort of looking at a, a list of like the Disney Plus original programming right now. And they have a lot of, you know, like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier and stuff that hasn't come out yet that you assume would theoretically be able to get another season if it does well. But that's sort of the same kind of thing. It's It's these puzzle pieces that are you know interlocking into a larger franchise and uh this stuff is all canon so it all counts to the larger story that they're telling and and i think it all depends on like what the feature of the movies looks like and and where they decide to go with that so um you know star wars is, is in sort of a weird place right now but um we know that the show is is definitely on the horizon and i uh look forward to seeing what they can cook up See, now I'm imagining, like, Obi-Wan approaching, like, a Tusken Raider and, like, giving him some credits. And then Tusken Raider just, like, watching from afar with those, like, sci- like the Star Wars yeah. binoculars. Um, no, uh, I also wonder if, like, this, if it's more strategic for, like, a streaming service. Like, Netflix, you know, is in the season's business. They want to keep you around to see the ne- next season of Stranger Things or, or whatever. But I'm wondering if, like, for a for a streaming service that's starting out, if it's more beneficial for them to just like have a one and done limited series, because they're just trying to attract people to that platform and attract as many different kinds of people as possible. 
to the yeah, platform. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because Netflix, um, you know, in recent years anyway, in the past probably five years or so, has really um, has has sort of moved a little bit away from. They, they've moved into a middle ground where they used yeah, to be like all three about, seasons, right? Yeah, and now it's it's sort of like three seasons and out because that that makes the most financial sense for them. If a show hasn't like popped in a in a Stranger Things way, then they're they want to just like wrap it up and stop paying people to make it and and put their money in you know to a, another show that could t- potentially be the next Stranger Things. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I it, it will be interesting to see what how Disney Plus sort of like uh, moves along in Netflix's wake in that regard, and like choose what decisions they make to uh, to either copy the Netflix model or shy away from it and try to uh, you know create their own path. Okay, let's talk about the cinematic side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's talk about the Ant Man three. Is, is so far Ant Man has been like. I like the Ant-Man movies, but so far the villains in those movies have been kind of not like these big epic villains. <laughs> like I, I feel like if it, if it has one uh, weak spot in the Ant-Man movies, it's like the villains are not these like, uh, you know, fantastic villains that you, you, you go to superhero movies to see. Well, it looks like Ant-Man 3 could be changing that. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so Jonathan Majors, who is currently on uh, Lovecraft Country, and earlier this year he was in The Five Bloods, and last year he was in uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He is joining Ant-Man 3, and he's uh, allegedly playing Kang the Conqueror, who is this time-traveling villain from the 30th century. And he's also may or may not be a descendant of Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. And now that Marvel has... Fantastic Four under their belt, they could potentially tie that into this if they want to keep that connection. It's you know who knows Marvel they 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 don't exactly stick exactly to the comics with these movies, so they could always change that. But that is now a possibility. Yeah, so that's interesting. I know at one point, like I think there was a rumor that Modok was going to be the villain in Ant Man three. They some people are saying I, I I heard some rumblings that that this character might actually not be the villain, but might just be a lead role. And this might be setting up King as a villain for, you know, a more bigger, like, you know, Avengers style movie. So uh, I know a lot of fans are, are uh, like theorizing that Ant-Man three could be kind of like a young Avengers kind of backdoor movie. If that makes sense. Kind of like how, uh, you know, the Captain America movies became kind of like, uh, you know, Avengers like point fives. Um, Chris, what do we know about King the Conqueror? Uh, I don't know much. Uh, what, what I was able to gather from yeah. just writing this up is, like I said, he is uh, he's super smart. He's from the future. He can travel through time. There's also apparently like multiple versions of Kang. So uh, they have a lot of different <laughs> versions to pick from. So, uh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so basically, you're saying it could be anything. Kang could be any one of the different options that they have had. Right, they could the take like a really cheap route and be like, "Ah, oh, this is Robert Kang," and everyone like winks at the camera, and it's like, "Oh, he's <laughs> going to eventually turn into that guy," like how they used to do on like the Marvel Netflix uh, shows, where they would just have like someone like, "Oh, by the way, this is so and so," and it's like this dumb Easter egg, and they're just wearing like a hoodie. It's really like cheap. That's what I'm picturing. Let's do that. My name's Bill Bullseye. How are you? <laughs> exactly. Just something like that. <laughs> it is interesting, though. Like, e- even in the older movies and the TV shows, they, they, or 
they used to like have those moment in the movie where a character has to get their name on screen. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they have to explain that he, why he was named Spider-Man or Superman or do, do you know what I mean? And yeah. nowadays, like there's so many superheroes that they actually don't even say the name of the superhero in the movie. Right. I prefer the, the Batman and Robin approach where he's driving to the crime scene and commissioner Gordon calls Batman. And he says, there's a new villain in town. His name is Mr. Freeze. And then they move on from there. We should, and then Batman we should, flashes his American express card yeah. that has the word Batman. on. Yeah. We need more of that in these Marvel movies. There's a new villain in town. His name is Kang the conqueror. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll see that, Chris. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about another Marvel movie. Let's talk about Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, this is coming from Taiko Titi, and who has worked on the Mandalorian. He worked on that technology. the The expensive technology is called uh, what? Stagecraft. Yes. And uh, it looks like that might be being used for this new movie. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, Industrial Light and Magic, who is the um, the you know, visual effects company that has uh, pioneered the game-changing technology, this, this stagecraft technology with like LED screens and virtual production technology and all of that kind of stuff that's been used on The Mandalorian. Um, ILM has decided to expand uh, this technology to a bunch of different sound stages across the world. So they're, they're adding another one in Manhattan Beach, which is where the... Uh, the first season of The Mandalorian was shot. They're adding another one uh, at um, Pinewood Studios in London. There's going to be yet another one at uh, Fox Studios Australia. And that actually is where Taika Waititi is shooting Thor Love and Thunder, which is the uh, upcoming sequel to Thor Ragnarok, which is going to actually use the same VFX technology um, that has been used on The Mandalorian, which is really cool because, as you mentioned, Peter, uh, Taika Waititi has, has uh, directed an episode of The Mandalorian as well as you know, playing a, a character in it. Um, so he's familiar with this technology. He's, he's seen it up close. He's, he's worked with it you know, uh, intimately before. Um, and it sounds like this, the, the new stages that are being constructed are actually going to be uh, you know, considerable improvements over the technology, the already impressive technology that existed for season one of The Mandalorian. So they're like, you know, kicking up everything from, <laughs> uh, you know, more LED panels to higher resolution and, and um, you know, like creating different lighting options and, and more um, uh, just like customization options for the filmmakers to be able to change the colors and the, the complexities and, and um uh, all, all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like this is going to be something that that is moving into the blockbuster uh, film sphere and not just going to be something that's relegated to the world of TV, which I think we all sort of expected like sooner or later, probably sooner, that as soon as The Mandalorian happened and, and we realized what kind of game-changing game stuff they were doing there, that this is going to be something that had a pretty significant impact on the industry and, and the way that all the stuff works. So um, it's it's happening already. So uh, Thor Love and Thunder is supposed to come out in theaters uh, on in uh, February of 2022. And I think they're supposed to be starting filming... Um, Man, I, I can't remember exactly when. Sometime pretty soon. I think uh, Natalie Portman was saying like that she's she's starting training and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Chris Hemsworth has not been like afraid to 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 criticize the early Thor films, uh, and a lot of people had theorized that Thor: Love and Thunder might be his last appearance in the MCU. But apparently, that is not the case. Chris, what do we know? 
Yeah, so uh, a lot of the, the original MCU players are, are are retired. Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans are gone, and even though Scarlett Johansson has Black Widow coming up, that movie's a prequel, and her character is dead, and it's already been confirmed that Florence Pugh would be taking over Black Widow, so she's pretty much going to be done soon. So that really just leaves Mark Ruffalo and, and Chris Hemsworth at this point. And Chris Hemsworth was asked if Love and Thunder was going to be his his swan song for Thor. And he said, quote, I'm not going into any retirement period and that he doesn't plan to hang up uh, the character after this movie. So, uh, you know, that's a lot different than announcing Chris Hemsworth has signed a contract to appear in a bunch of more movies. But as far as he's concerned, he has no plans of uh, saying goodbye to Thor anytime soon. Interesting. Uh, what would you like to see Thor do next in the MCU? I don't know. As long as they, they keep it lighthearted, because I really did not care for the first two Thor movies at all. I think they're kind of bad, especially the Dark World. And I didn't really start caring about Thor as a character until Ragnarok uh, let him be funny. And that, you know, that, that sense of humor carried over to... Um, uh, Endgame and uh, Infinity War. So the minute they they let him sort of lighten up a bit, that's really what I liked. So if they, as long as they keep doing that with the character, uh, you know, I, I'm 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 fine with him playing it again because he does have really good comedic timing, and yeah. I, I, I like that. I feel like there was brief moments of that in like the I mean, first yeah, Thor with like a shot of water kind of stuff. Yeah, there, I mean, there was definitely levity in those movies, but. Uh, it, it wasn't as like full blown as, as yeah. Ragnarok, which is like pretty much like a, a comedy, honestly, just with superhero elements in it. OK, let's move back to streaming. We've talked in the past about how Netflix could possibly buy a big movie theater chain like AMC. It looks like they are not interested in that. What do we know, Ben? Yeah, so Reed Hastings is the uh, co-CEO of Netflix, and he said uh, very recently in an interview last week, uh, I can't see us doing a chain or expanding in theatrical. We want to really focus on internet entertainment and trying to just continue to improve our series, our films, to make them the best in the world. So uh, there you have it. The the co-CEO of Netflix just outright saying, I don't think we're going to be moving into buying theater chains, which is a big deal because... You know, we talked about on the on the podcast when this news broke, but the Paramount consent decrees were recently overturned, which theoretically paves the way for studios and 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 or streaming companies to buy up their own theater chains if they want to. And there's been some speculation for a long time that Amazon or Netflix could theoretically get into the theatrical exhibition business by just buying you know, a chain that may be struggling financially or something like that. But it sounds like Netflix is is not going to be doing that. So they they have their two theaters, the um, uh, Egyptian theater in Hollywood and the Paris theater in New York City. And it sounds like they're just okay with, you know, owning those right now. Um, and the, the interesting thing uh, that, you know, the, the thing that I guess interested me a little bit more about that, uh, uh, more than that in this same interview was that Reed Hastings also said that something Netflix wanted to do was to beat Disney in the realm of family animation, which is um, a very, very high bar to set. Uh, He said, that's going to take a while. I mean, they're really good at it. We're both very focused on building out our animation group and it's a friendly competition, blah, 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 blah. So he he did say, um, we know that there will be a challenge. talking about Disney. We know there'll be a challenger and a competitor for the next 50 years. So that, that was his quote. And it seems like Netflix is definitely like a, you know, playing the long game with this one. So uh, it might take them 50 years to catch up to Disney, but it'll be interesting to see if they can do it. 
Well, Netflix has been kind of teaming up with like what DreamWorks Animation to produce a lot of their their animated stuff, and they've also done some like anime stuff with uh, I forget that company over overseas in Japan. Uh, but like, does that mean that they does Netflix have their own animation studio? I don't think they do. I think they do, point. right? I think uh, do they? Movies, movies like Klaus um, were made in house as like Netflix oh, was animation. I, I think so. And uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie, I'm pretty sure, is being made um, like as like a Netflix yeah. animation. I don't uh, know if it's like a studio, but I think they just have like a division, like Netflix animation, they call it. Okay, yeah, that may hmm. be this the distinction. Then I'm not sure if they have yeah like a an outright uh, you know building where they where they have <laughs> animators actually working, um, or if they just sort of like let uh you know other production companies uh, create the stuff and then they just acquire things after that but um they're they're definitely like actively developing animation titles um sort of across the board so uh i don't know man competing with disney and family animation like uh that's a that's a very very high bar to set so uh i i am curious to see if they'll ever be able to do it and uh for the record klaus was uh written directed by sergio pablos and his uh, that it was produced by his company, uh, Pablo's Animation Studios, and then distributed by Netflix. Okay. So, so I don't think they do have like an animation studio, like a proper, you know, like Paramount has a studio, uh, Pixar has a studio, Walt Disney Animation has a studio. Like, I feel like if they want to compete against Disney, they're going to actually have to like not be just acquiring, like partnering with people. Yeah, maybe they'll they'll take a page out of that DreamWorks playbook because you mentioned that they've had a bunch of collaborations with them and, yeah. and DreamWorks, like, you know, uh, this was probably, what, 10, 12 years ago now, hired Guillermo del Toro as like a sort of a an overseer of a lot of the production, animated productions that they were working on. And they hired, um, uh, God, what is the cinematographer's name who just won an Oscar for uh, Blade Runner 2049? Roger uh, yes, Roger yeah. Thank you very much. Um, for, you know, as like a... a a visual consultant basically. So maybe if Netflix creates their own animation uh, studio, like an in-house, you know, legitimate honest to God studio, maybe they can hire some big names to, uh, to stay there and sort of like draw in new talent or something. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about this movie, Stray Dogs, which is described as silence of the lambs meets lady in the tramp. Chris, what is going on here? I mean, that's really all we know about this project. Um, it's going to be an animated film from Paramount Animation. Uh, Gary Doberman, who who wrote the It movies, is producing it. Uh, and it's based on um, a, a comic book that's coming out next year. But uh, in trying to write this story, I couldn't find a single actual synopsis of the comic book anywhere. Like, they're keeping it under wraps still. So really, all we have is that, that log line of Simon of the Lambs meets Lady and the Tramp. So... Uh, make of that what you will. I, I'm, it's going to be an animated horror movie about dogs. That's that's really all we know. And I guess the dogs will be, you know, like Lady and Tramp. They'll they'll talk and eat spaghetti and stuff like what, that. What do you think that means? Is there like is this like a dog serial killer movie? And they're like trying to catch the serial killer around like the the town. I don't know. It just seems so weird. I can't even in, imagine. Like, is this for adults or is this a family? Yeah, I mean, it didn't clarify, but the fact that it, it's Gary Dauerman who, you know, has stuck mainly to R-rated horror movies, like he's been involved with the, the Annabelle films and stuff like that, I kind of theorize that this sounds like they're making this like an R-rated animated horror movie, which actually might be kind of cool, because, you know, when was the last yeah. time anything like that happened? Well, uh, Sausage Party. 
Great. <laughs> not a horror movie. Well, well, I mean, like just for adults, like animated yeah. Yeah. adult, uh, like theatrical, right? Like, has there been one since? I don't think so, but I'm talking like an actual like a R horror cartoon. Like, I can't think of anything that comes to mind for that. So, yeah, yeah. I know Lee Unkrich, uh posted on Twitter that he before he went to leave to do Toy Story three, he pitched a Pixar a movie about dogs in New York city that was going to be kind of like a Hitchcockian, like, uh, it, I don't know. He didn't really go into details, but it sounded like, uh, what's that movie where you're, you're like, look, rear, rear, yeah, rear window. Yeah. So, uh, but I could, I could totally see a rear window being kind of family friendly. Um, you could do a, yeah, you could do a family friendly version of that. I'm not sure if you could do silence of the lambs family friendly. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find links to the articles we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular apps. Uh, send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.